this is out of bounds. This is Out of Bounds, your home for the wild, weird, wacky, and everything in between in the sports world. I'm John Alla. That's Mia O'Brien. It is in a post-NFL world here on this Monday, uh, February 13th. That's today's date, right? Pre-Valentine's Yes, it is. Do you, know what tomorrow, know. do you know what tomorrow is, John? Valentine's Day. You teased, the, you teased the listeners last week that you would have uh, either love life updates or something, something of a... Of dramatic effect. Do you have anything for us? No, I got nothing. <laughs> it's uh, I mean, it's it's pretty it's pretty pathetic out there. It's pretty... Dog eat dog world. Yeah, it's not good. It's not good. I've got you got like you see right back there. I got Power Ridge by ACDC. That's that's my my calling card. Down payment blues. Um, what does it say? Uh, can't even feed my cat on social security that's how i kind of feel right now so yeah uh things are great ahead of valentine's day but i hope everyone out there enjoyed their super bowl how was your super bowl sunday mia it was great it was low key after a pretty high key saturday uh running around to different family events so uh for the first time in like years uh, outside of the years you know the last eight years in which i've had to work on Super Bowl Sunday. Mm-hmm. Uh, kept it pretty chill, which uh, actually a lot more fun than I anticipated. So that's always a good time. Um, yes. How about you, sir? Any? Yes. What was your favorite dip or favorite food that you ate oh, or see, we, drank we or whatever? We, we did big. I was over with my sister and I was with my brother-in-law. And you know, for my birthday, I was gifted from my friends. They went in on they went in on three uh, Japanese A5 Wagyu steaks. Okay. And because this is what I do now. This is this is what I do now that I'm 30. I cook uh, things that I see online, and Japanese A5 Wagyu is like the top steak in the world that you can get. So I broke out one of them as a little appetizer. I've never been so scared to cook something in my life. I so did how not- do you how do you cook it differently than a normal steak? Well, this or is, is it just, just that it's just like you're just dealing with very precious cargo. Well, you're dealing with very precious cargo, but it is extremely high fat content that's the whole appeal of a of a a5 wagyu and it is pretty much a quick sear and you're done i did about two and a half minutes on each side maybe three minutes at Pan most. seared or grilled well i mean you can grill it but if you grilled it you'd get a lot of flame um because of the fat content so this i did in a cast iron and you're not putting anything other than salt on it you're not doing the basing any of that it is just salt and you're eating it pretty much as is. It was a top five thing I think I've ever eaten in my life. Wow. This was just, this was Who just are you saying your Valentine's Day isn't off to a roaring start? <laughs> well, the yeah, love of, for tough. the love of food, John. Love of food, right. Someone this has was, to be watching this right now this and hearing was, this and saying, I want this man to cook for me. Cook for me, right? You would think that would be an appealing thing, but I guess it's not. Um, this was a sirloin. The one I'm going to break out at some point in the next couple of weeks is the Japanese A5 Wagyu ribeye, which is like the top steak in the world. I cannot wait. I'm very excited. It's a, very much a special occasion thing. Mm. And the Super Bowl Sunday festivities are, in fact, a special occasion. We will be talking a lot about the Super Bowl here on this episode of Out of Bounds. But first, I encourage you, my friends, to head over to KYNchat.com or if you're in our chat Just leave a super chat on YouTube and we will read your comments on air because I'm sure people have lots to say about the Super Bowl and everything that surrounds it. So perhaps it's time for an opening toast, Mia O'Brien. 
Would you like me to lead us off? You'd like to. That's more than happy. Surely. Let me get the pop. Let me get the pop. Let me get the pop. pop. All right, go on. Did you notice uh, what sweatshirt I am wearing? I mean, you're wearing a hat with your name on it. Okay, so we'll start with that. Um, So this is actually from Francesca's. It's supposed to be for Miami. Yes. But in my infinite wisdom, I said, Mia, taking that. This is about four years old. Uh, No, this sweatshirt that I have on right now, literally just taken out of the bag, literally just taken out of the plastic. This is courtesy of Homefield Apparel. Have you heard of Homefield, John? No, but you and Homer for Iowa seems to know. Well, so Homefield based in Indiana started as like just doing Indiana Hoosiers fun gear. Mm -hmm. Now they've expanded. And this is my first ever Homefield purchase. And um, so Homefield, if you're watching this, uh, this is a free excuse to uh, collaborate on further Uh apparel, whether that is Iowa or Ithaca or even Jacksonville of some sort, because I'm also a professor at UNF somehow, some way. So let me know. We'll collab. More than happy to help. Cheers to that. Here we go. Bottoms up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. New sweatshirts are a reason to drink, John, especially when they're this comfy. Mm-hmm. They're not paying us. That's all I know. <laughs> anyway, let's get to it. This, me O'Brien. The image seen around the world last night here. Tail end of the fourth quarter. Chiefs are on a drive. We got a tie game. This has been an all-time classic to this point. We're talking this might be a top five Super Bowl of all time until this moment. A controversial holding call on third down on James Bradbury. Saw the Chiefs march to a chip shot field goal win over the Eagles. Bradbury admitted post game that it was, in fact, a hold. And he was hoping that the refs wouldn't call it. But they did, Mia, and it's caused a lot of outrage. Some people say, let them play. This kind of thing happens a lot. Others say, hey, if the player himself is admitting it, well, that speaks for itself. Mia, is this the worst call ever in a situation like this, or are the refs right to throw a flag? I mean, they weren't right to throw the flag, but it's far from the worst. I mean, off the top of my dome, I can't think of – you know, an immediate worst. I mean, but obviously I'm sure there are a lot of, uh, you know, Minnesota Vikings, New Orleans Saints fans that can think of a PI call that uh, they believe was worse than this. I, I think the, the, the prep, there's two sides of the coin, John. There's the side of it that human error is part of the game. We've spoken about that mm-hmm. on Out of Bounds before. Human error, human officials, this is part of the game. That's number one. Number two, Bradbury admitted that he did hold him. So there's that. But at the same time, at this point in time, and my, my dad even asked me about it this morning, he was like, how many holds could they have potentially called in the trenches throughout the sure. course of this game and they let them play? So why decide to get ticky-tack in the final two minutes of a ball game? In my personal opinion, I think the Chiefs would have scored. They would have. Well, first of all, if that third down, you know, if they don't throw the flag. I think we could all agree they would have scored regardless. They would have scored regardless. That's mm-hmm. number one. And number two. I mean, judging by Jalen Hurts' arm on that Hail Mary attempt, which, listen, I understand they would have had about a buck 30 to get downfield, and maybe they would have had a chance. But at the rate the Chiefs were going at, I don't foresee a world in where even if Jalen Hurts and the Eagles score, and yes, they obviously could have kicked a field goal and then would have gone to overtime, I still only see the Chiefs winning this game, personally speaking. And so that's where, yeah. you know, for me, if anything, like, yes, does it take out, you know, it made it, you know, the the, the script – this is what the NFL wanted. Walk off, field goal for the Chiefs. Mahomes wins. I get it. On the surface level, it looks like the script. I get it. Shout out Arian Foster. Um, but I think it was inevitable. 
that the Chiefs were going to pull this one out. Was it a little anticlimactic to end such a great game in the way that it did as a result of a penalty? Perhaps. Number one, though, Harrison Bucker had to make that kick. And even though it was a chip shot, we've seen plenty of kickers miss chip shots all year long. He missed a kick earlier in the game. He missed a kick earlier in the game, off the post. But the way that I look at it, Mia, I don't really have an issue with the refs throwing a flag here. I don't. And I know a lot of people say, well, call consistent the whole game. I saw an analogy earlier today, and I totally agree with it. If you go 65 in a 60, can a cop pull you over? In theory. They sure can. Do they all the time? No. Probably not. But can it happen and does it happen? Yes. Absolutely it does. I got it didn't pulled happen over. to me today, thank goodness. I got, pulled over. I, I got pulled over one time going 38 and a 35. Yeah. It happens. Yep. It's reality. If you break the rules, you have to be ready to reap the consequences of that. And That's a very it is, good analogy, by the way. Absolutely. And it is referee discretion here. Was it in a major moment? Yes. But guess what? Then you're also saying if he doesn't throw that flag, you're saying, man, that was clear as day holding. The narrative would have just been flipped. That's Because, listen, it's undeniable there was contact. Undeniable. You say it's clear as day holding. How would they not throw a flag? And maybe we'd rather live in a world where you don't throw a flag versus you do throw a flag. But I also think that an official's job is to throw a flag when there's a penalty. That's the first order of business as far as I see it, Mia. The second order of business is if you don't want the game to come down to a penalty, maybe you don't let the Chiefs score on every single offensive possession that they had in the there second half. There it is. There it is, John Alba. There it is. And to which I want to read for our, our listeners uh, and our, our commenters a series of tweets that I released, and then a reply that I think speaks to that exact point. Um, So I said this last week on the show. I said this last week on my day job at 1010XL and XL Primetime. This was a legacy game for Patrick Mahomes. Yes, whether you agree with their whole we were doubted storyline or not. The fact of the matter is, if Patrick (laughs) Mahomes starts his career one and two in Super Bowls, there's people questioning, Mm -hmm. I don't know, I don't know. This was a legacy game, whether you like it or not. And, of course, a lot of angry bots came for me on the Twitter machine. That's fine. I really appreciated this one, though, courtesy of Arn underscore Dronehammer. Great handle. Despite the tacky penalty, the Eagles let the Chiefs back into the game. They somehow gave up that punt return despite having mm-hmm. Tony surrounded. Now Mahomes can start chasing Brady. And I quote tweeted it, and I said, that's the tweet. Because yeah. it's the truth. Because not only, John... Did they allow for the Chiefs to come back into this game? Patrick Mahomes, yes, I know he only had 186 yards. And was, his dad played Major League Baseball. Yes, did you know that, folks? If you didn't, now you do. Also, he and his wife and their kids are already in Disney World. I'm not sure how that one worked. Um, 21 of 27, near-perfect performance. I don't care if it was for only 186 yards. The man is playing on one leg. and he I mean, when he turned the Jets on that 20-yard scramble late in the fourth quarter, he doesn't look like he has an ankle injury. So, So let's start with that, too. But the biggest one for me, John, the play that Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy stole right out of the Jaguars' playbook and admitted to it because, of course, Doug Peterson's their boy. Because it worked. Because it worked. But then, John, and this is the damning thing against the Philadelphia Eagles and Jonathan Gannon, their defense coordinator, who may become the Cardinals coach by tomorrow. Um, They didn't just beat them once on that touchdown play. Back to back. Mm -hmm. That is an indictment. Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice. It's, you know, you handed them the game. In the same quarter, nonetheless. 
quarter. Yep. Yeah. So, I thought I thought it was a coaching clinic from the Kansas City coaching staff in the second half of this game. Not to say that Philly coached this game poorly, because I don't think they did. They brought a great game plan. And listen, say what you want. We're going to talk quarterback legacies in a minute. But I thought Jalen Hurts was just yeah. so fantastic in this game, even with the fumble. I thought that Jalen Hurts showed that he is like a guy that the NFL should be parading on every ad and every he, he can be the guy, which is awesome for him and awesome for Philly fans. But it's as simple as that. You don't let a team get back into it if you don't want it to come down to a potential missed call by a referee. And guess what? It wasn't a missed call. It was by the books, me, O'Brien. Right. This was the right call. Right. It's just a matter of do you do it? There's an unwritten rule. You don't do it. Well, guess what? We always talk about how unwritten rules are Yeah, stupid. we get upset about unwritten rules yes. usually. Unwritten rules are stupid. They are dumb. And that's a dumb one here, in my opinion. I, I get it. There are holds in the trenches. But there's something I want to bring up, too, that Patrick Mahomes did. Patrick Mahomes knew what he was doing in that play. Patrick Mahomes wasn't trying to hit Juju. He threw that ball 20 yards over his head. He threw that ball in his direction to get the ref's attention over there to say, look what's going on. I see this hold here. Mm-hmm. That. Patrick Mahomes is a smart guy, yep. and that is exactly what happened on that play. And as the referee said afterwards, Mia, it was a textbook holding call. Yep. And one more final note, John. Uh, the Eagles, the time of possession. Did you see the final line on this? Not the final line, no. The Eagles had an 11-minute advantage mm-hmm. in time of possession. The Chiefs had the ball for 24 minutes and 13 seconds in a ball game in which they scored 38 points. Their offense scored 31. Obviously, they had a defensive touchdown as well. This is an Eagles defense we were talking about all week. 70-plus sacks. Yeah. All-time great defense. And they sacked Patrick Mahomes how many times last night? What more needs to be said? Yeah. And I don't think that's a great Chiefs offensive line for what it's worth. They played a hell of a game yesterday, that's for sure. And again, the game plan was there. It, it just it took them a little longer to execute, and they were able to execute at the end of the day. I'm not getting my pants in a bunch about this holding call. I know some people are and think it just tainted this all-time great game. Did it lead to a little bit of an anticlimactic ending? Sure. But rules are It was are also rules, the man. ending so many people saw coming. I think that's why it was anticlimactic. Rules are rules at the end of the day. And as we wrap this topic here, big time kudos to James Bradbury, who in the yeah. worst moment of his life probably said, yeah, I messed up. I, I committed a, a, a foul and the referees reserved the right to call that penalty. And they did. So that's that, that should be a, a learning lesson for athletes out there. Take some accountability. It's okay to crap all over the refs every now and then, but in a moment like this, you take the the accountability and kudos to him on that Mia. But uh, we're talking Pat Mahomes. This this was an all-timer, was it not? Yep, he delivers again, John. His second Super Bowl win, his second MVP, all on one leg. He is 27. His resume speaks for itself. I'm going to throw a saucy nug at you. Um, there are three quarterbacks in NFL history, John, that have won multiple MVP awards and multiple Super Bowl MVPs. Do you know who the other two are? Tom Brady. Yep, that's one. Pan Manning. Nope. Who's the other? Joe Ellen? Montana. Montana, there you go. Joe Montana, it took him 12 years to win multiple MVPs and multiple Super Bowl MVPs. Tom Brady, it took 11 years. Patrick Mahomes, it has taken six, and he has only been a starter for five of them. And so my question for you, is it too early to suggest he is one of the greatest quarterbacks to ever play in the National Football League? No, I don't. 
I think you want you want a comparison here right now. I'll give you one. Is it a baseball comparison? It is a baseball because you know his dad did play baseball <laughs> right. with a with a rod. Right. The compare. Oh, by the way, your boy Derek Jeter on the Fox crew now. I know, I'm, dude. I'm, Look at listen. That's all the turntables. I love it. That's interesting. Patrick Mahomes is very much on a linear path that Mike Trout is on, except Mike Trout doesn't have the team success that Pat Mahomes has. Okay, go on. In in that Mike Trout could have retired halfway through his career, and he's instantly one of the greatest outfielders ever to play the game. But he doesn't have those postseason accolades because his teams have been booty. Whereas Patrick Mahomes, in the vacuum of the NFL, has done all that plus the team success. And he is the guy. And I think it is not by any means a stretch to suggest he's one of the most special players that have ever played this game. Forget even just the awards and the accomplishments. All it takes is watching this guy once and seeing that he moves differently than other quarterbacks. He throws differently than other quarterbacks. He throws like a shortstop, which might be because his dad played Major League Baseball. He's just built differently than other quarterbacks, and the accolades are going to keep coming. This is not the last Super Bowl Patrick Mahomes is going to win, in my opinion. There are more to come. And with how he carries himself off the field and with media, this is the type of guy that has potential media to be an all-timer, a Mount Rushmore quarterback guy, in my opinion. And that's what's cool about it, in my opinion, John. And I know there are plenty of Mahomes haters out there, I think, primarily. Primarily, they exist because they don't like his wife and his brother. Well, that's stupid. That's dumb. Because you know what? It's one thing to say Tom Brady and the evil empire of New England, of New England, weren't likable in the early 2000s, the mid-2000s. That's fine. Bill Belichick has a surly look on his face, even though he is the greatest coach of all time, I would argue, in the National Football League. Tom Brady didn't have a personality. He wasn't self-deprecating dad jokes until he got to Tampa. I'm cool with that because I was in that category in judging the New England Patriots. This Chiefs group is one of the most likable groups of guys you could ever find of elite teams and Super Bowl winning teams over the past hundred years of the NFL. Because not only did Patrick Mahomes not go to a big-time school in Texas Tech. I mean, listen, it's a Big 12 school, but it wasn't like he came out with all this fanfare of even, you know, my boy Trevor Lawrence. But also, there were people questioning when the Chiefs, for the first time in their franchise history, took a quarterback and traded up for a quarterback. Look at how many teams passed on him. Look how many teams passed on him. Nine teams passed on the kid. So let's start with that. We'll also go to, and this is where it's so fascinating to me, Andy Reid. I mean, listen, I understand the circumstances when he was pushed out of Philadelphia, family stuff. And listen, it, it was time for him to move on. It was time for them to move on. It is what it is. Um, but the fact that he has become that guy that takes guys that maybe had some character question marks and turns them into not only NFL stars, but faces of the game, because that is what he did with Travis Kelsey. Mm-hmm. That is what he did with Tyreek Hill. That is what he is starting to do with Kadarius Tony. Three guys who had question marks, whether it was in college or in the National Football League, and here they are winning Super Bowls, making plays, and Travis Kelsey is a face of the NFL, whether you want to admit it or not. And if you had told him or if you had told the staff at Cincinnati his freshman year that this was going to be the case, I'm not sure how many people would believe you. And so I think the larger question, because I think Mahomes is an all-time great already, it is what it is. Um But I think the bigger question is going to be similar to what we now talk about with Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. 
Is it Andy Reid or is it Mahomes? I just think you look at the exceptional athleticism that Patrick Mahomes brings. He does stuff that is not in a playbook. I mean, he and Travis Kelsey talked about in an interview this past week where he said half the time Travis Kelsey doesn't even run an actual route. They just have that built-in chemistry, and Mahomes knows he can go out there and be an athlete, and they'll just find each other. And that's part of the reason why it's so hard to cover a guy like Travis Kelsey because the defenders know he's not running a traditional route. You might think he's going to run a slant, and all of a sudden he just zigs and zags because ah, he feels like it. So that's that's the reality of what you're facing when you're going against a guy like Patrick Mahomes. And that's why I do think he's, there are going to be so many people think I'll, I'll use another baseball analogy. Okay. Think about how many kids grew up wanting to imitate the Derek Jeter leap throw, right? Yep. Think about how many kids are going to grow up trying to do throws like Patrick Mahomes where yep. he's leaping and you're or diving. And you can take it to the Tiger Woods celebration. You could take it to sure. Steph Curry and his Whatever effect on the NBA and on basketball as if a whole. Out Kobe, you know, like, I mean, right. that's, you're going to see stuff like that. He's going to become bigger than the game itself. And he handles himself tremendously well. We should be celebrating someone like Patrick Mahomes and people like, oh, he's faking the injury is phony. Man, these players Go out there for your entertainment. And, yeah, they get paid a lot of money to do it. But they go out there for your entertainment. And they compete at the highest level. They compete through injury, through thick and thin. And that is a high ankle sprain that this man dealt with. And I'm sure it was excruciatingly painful. But the reality is he went out there again, did his thing. And now he's a two-time Super Bowl champion, two-time Super Bowl MVP. He's got a Hall of Fame resume right now. He could retire. He could go to Space Mountain tomorrow. And say, you know what? I'm liking this living life with my family thing. I'm going to step away from the game forever. And he'd be a Hall of Famer wearing a jacket in five years. Well, definitely. Because we we said the same exact thing about Aaron Donald last year. And I know, obviously, you know, defense, quarterback, different positions. But it's the same thing. Very much so. Very much so. Uh, let's keep rolling here. Before the game, Chris Stapleton, I know your boy, Chris yeah. Stapleton, did one hell of a national anthem. It was mm-hmm. really, really, really good. Got Nick Sirianni, Eagles head coach, mm-hmm. just little emotion. Little now, to be fair, he had told Todd Rinaldi before the game that he knew during the anthem. It wasn't about America making him emotional. He just knew that being in that moment would make him really emotional because this was him making it. Well, the cameras were ready. They were positioned, and... Uh, <laughs> They got ourselves an all-time meme. This became a meme after the game when the Eagles lost, of course, which is a little mean-spirited. But I guess I have to ask Mia O'Brien, where does this rank in crying meme lore? We have no Sean Marino, who just had buckets of tears. We have crying Jordan. Where's this particular one resting for you? See, this one strikes a different chord for me because I, you know, there have been moments for me where, again, not, no offense, not, not related to America, but again, to the, to the moment of being on an NFL field, you know, a lifelong dream for Nick Sirianni to coach in a Super Bowl for yours truly. Like there, there are moments where I get to cover an NFL game or covering the NFL playoffs this year. Um, and it's not even so much about me as it is thinking about all the people that I have encountered along the way that don't get to be there. And don't even get to be on planet Earth in some regards at this current juncture in time. And um, that, so I actually like have long thought about if I'm ever blessed with that opportunity. And I would also cry. And I've, I have actively thought about this for most of the last five years. Um, and so that's why I was upset because this is a real moment. I think it's one of the purest moments that 
in a Super Bowl we see each year. Nick Sirianni is far from the first man to cry at a Super Bowl. Um, however, to your point, see, I, I'm going to say this in a, in a public forum about how if I'm you know, blessed to cover a Super Bowl, like, uh, you know, I'll sob. I don't think I'm going to be covering the Super Bowl next year, so I don't think Old Takes Exposed is going to, like, come for me and be like, oh, she planned to cry. You don't say I'm going to ball, and then you do <laughs> ball, because then it looks like you're putting on a show. Yeah. Mm-hmm. that's where I'm like, bruh, what are we doing? I don't think it's anywhere near crying Jordan, but it's definitely going to get leverage. I also think I saw way more, which we're going to get to Rihanna's halftime performance mm-hmm. here yeah, in a second. She, she got memed pretty hard, I too. saw way more of the Rihanna memes and way more of her um, Pillsbury Doughboy dancers. I saw a lot more of that on the timeline than I did Nick mm-hmm. Sirianni today. Yeah, listen, but sometimes you just know you're going to get emotional. Like when I saw Spring Scene, I said to you guys, like, I am going to cry when I see him the first time do certain things and he played a song that i knew i was gonna ball my eyes out during when i went with uh my mother for the first show of the tour and i balled my eyes out i knew it was gonna happen and happened so i get it sometimes you're just in touch with yourself and you you, you understand reality but uh yeah this i mean it was just great because the camera was ready for it they're like wait for him to cry and then do a slow zoom as he does right. and it happened uh to me crying jordan is the king of yes. crying memes just because you're talking about the goat and like just being in that setting, crying, and the way that people have adapted the crying Jordan meme, where they like, oh, they put it, they put it onto other, other people's things. body, yeah, oh, right. It's, it's it is. I remember when Brady had the gate and someone took the court drawing of Brady and they put the crying Jordan on it and like. To me, crying Jordan is the greatest crying meme of all time. But we got to give kudos to Noshan Marino, who managed to shed Little tears. Little Town South forever. He managed to shed tears unlike anybody I've ever seen before. No, no yeah. No, I agree. It, it was impressive. It was it was waterworks, truly. It was projectile. So if you're ranking those three, how are you ranking them? In terms of meme or in terms of crying? In terms of meme quality for like the meme crying. quality, it's Jordan, then Sirianni, then No Sean. For meme really? qual for meme yeah. quality. For more, meme more quality. Sirianni has surpassed No Sean. In terms Marino? of te- sheer tears, it's No Sean, then Sirianni, then mm. MJ. Okay. In terms of sheer tears. My question for you, John, um, this was pretty hotly debated all week. Uh, do you like Nick Sirianni? Like, w- would you want to go have a beer with him? Yeah. I mean, I'm glad you didn't ask me, like, if I'd date his daughter, like he was asking yeah, me exactly. day, and his daughter is five years old. But, um, but, yeah, I mean, he, look, any guy that can succeed in Philadelphia has got to be in tune with how to interact with people. That is for sure. And he certainly seems to know what he's doing in that sense. They turned that ship around pretty damn quickly yeah. in Philadelphia. And How much credit is Howie going to try to take, though? Which rightfully so. Howie deserves credit for it. The personnel was tremendous this year. They were tremendous. It's, But you do need, I, I mean, I hate using this motif, but you need the culture change. You need the play callers. And mo- most importantly, you, you need a coach that can relate to the players and the players can relate to the coach. And, I mean, you know it firsthand covering it, for, you know, with the Jaguars. When you have a coach that people like playing for, you get right. the best out of them. And that's exactly. That's really as simple as that. But go ahead. Let's talk about Riri. Yeah. Let's talk about Riri. A little baby bump there. So, yeah. So she steals the headlines because people were upset she wasn't dancing. It was a largely subdued performance. And then she reveals she is indeed pregnant for the second time in the last 18 months. Uh, John, could she, should she have bowed out after learning she was pregnant? 
Nah, man. This is this is this is what legends are made of, you know. Thank you, because they probably what... booked this six months ago before she was pregnant. Yeah, I mean, this was very likely booked before she was pregnant. And now, if it happened early in the process, maybe you say, okay, this isn't the the year best we thing wait a do. year. But if if it's something that you know we're is happening now, then then you do it. And and there there are so many. Think about this. This is an element that nobody's talking about. There's so many legalities that once she signs that contract to perform at the halftime show with sponsorships and everything, you got to execute it. You got to do it. So I have no problem. It did not distract me no. at all how subdued, and she was more subdued. You probably expect more dancing out of someone and choreography out of someone. But I thought the people that organized this halftime show did a hell of a job in distracting from that with, there were some mind blowing, absolutely mind blowing camera shots in this thing with the drone cameras and the stage set up with the floating platforms. And as you said, the Michelin men marching onto the field. I, it was, I, I thought, and I'm not someone who's actively listening to Rihanna, but I thought it was a pretty entertaining halftime show. I did too. And you want to know why? Because Rihanna has quietly probably recorded and released 40% of, or excuse me, 60% of the American top 40 over the past 12 years. Probably. The woman released seven it albums it was hit in after eight hit. years, hit after hit after hit. I'm okay if she has two kids in 18 months. My problem is that many of my shocking male colleagues were upset because, quote, we came to see sexy Rihanna and booty shaking Rihanna. Well, guess what? Whether and then there's the other minority. Well, there were people that thought that what she did was over sexualized. And I was like, then you also had those who, you know, they're like, well, she didn't even sing. Listen, every Super Bowl, they're going to have the background dubbed music. I personally think she did sing a little bit because you can hear it into she the microphone. over a track. That's what happened. Right, which is so what happens because heaven forbid you lose the microphone. It is what it is. I thought she actually sang, and whether it was pre-recorded or not, you have to admit, the woman has some pipes, pipes, like vocal cords. Um, and guess what? She is one of the best artists of the past 20 years. And it was one of the best medleys I have heard in terms of sheer arrangement in terms of which song came first, which song came next, which one she ended with. I thought it was fantastic, whether she was booty shaking or not. Yeah, I, I, I don't I really have any... Because I'm here for the musical value. Yeah, I mean, I don't really have any thoughts on the musical value because it's not really music I listen to, but I, I understand that the Super Bowl halftime show is for the theatricality of it, and... I thought theatrically it was a pretty damn entertaining performance. I just, I was blown away by the production of it. Blown away. And honestly, I thought it was kind of funny that she like wasn't going super hard with the dancing and she just like showed that face that went super viral. And just like, even when she was like bending over and she's like, like all the backup dancers are super into it and she's just like kind of doing whatever. Like it was like, that's your badassery, right? Like you've earned right. that. You've earned that right to just be like that. And I don't know. I didn't. I didn't have an issue with it, and like she didn't have any guests, which I was fine with as well. And everyone seemed oh, to be quick, really disappointed. Yeah. By that. Quick note about that. Um, yo, Kanye, just don't be a moron, and you would have gotten your moment in the sun. Maybe it's very your possible. moment of redemption from your Taylor Swift debacle. Like you literally would have gotten your moment, but you had to go be an idiot and go off the deep end. Sad. Because listen, Jay Z couldn't because it was a halftime Super Bowl show brought to you by um, Apple Music, and obviously he owns Title. Um, so get that. But there are a lot of songs, and I'm like, hey, 
What would have been nice. Like, I, listen, I didn't need them because I thought Rihanna was great as she was. But the Super Bowl has become so synonymous with this special guest and that special guest. I actually thought last year in Los Angeles it was almost overkill to have, like, eight people um, hmm. and eight different artists and trying to fit That's all of their music library. I'm not even a rap fan, but I kind of liked last year's. I enjoyed it. It's just yeah. there were moments where I was like, okay, like – we're, like I would love to hear this song from this one, and I'd love to hear that song from that one, and it's like you only have only have thirteen minutes. So I I just thought the musical arrangement, which songs came first, which songs came next, like the sheer who's the best of all time, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, I feel like I have to say Bruce Springsteen on this program. So um, I mean, I, you don't have to say I don't think Bruce. I mean, Bruce is my favorite, but I don't think Bruce is the best. I think I think Prince was the best. Yeah, that's the one that everybody on my show earlier today yeah. said too. Um, uh, in terms of recent Super Bowl performances, like the last ten years, uh, everyone's going to go to Beyonce. I think, but I think Gaga pretty good too. If I remember, Gaga was good. I actually really liked Bruno Mars, and I would actually, if you go back and you watch, you're in the his- minority on that one. That one, a lot yeah. of people look down down very. I cool but I, again, I really liked it because I love the musical arrangement. I love the order in which he picked it. He also had the terrible misfortune of doing the Super Bowl that was at MetLife Stadium in 38-degree weather in the middle of New Jersey in the middle of February. That's awful. Um, But then also, uh, again, to your point about camera shots, like there were some really great cinematic shots of him in the sleet of New Jersey singing into the rain and – I thought it was fantastic. So people I people really yeah. like J-Lo and Shakira. Wasn't that a really popular Oh, my God. Well, yeah, because yeah. – let's bring this conversation full circle. Because <laughs> they were booty legends. I mean, they're legends. That's their gimmick. They are legends. Movie. I love both of them, but that's – That's their yeah. gimmick, though. You know, like the, the booty shake, that is their thing. They did not <laughs> sing. I can guarantee you that. That was pre-taped. You uh, can't most, multitask like that, buddy. <laughs> most of them are. I mean, look, Michael Jackson was a prolific lip syncer, so uh, make of that what you will. Uh, yeah, a Super Bowl. I mean, let's wrap the conversation here. A couple other things on the Super Bowl. Uh, you have a favorite ad? Any any stick out to you? Um, I thought I liked the uh, the one with Will Ferrell where he's driving through the different yeah. Netflix series. I thought that yeah. was pretty neat. Um, I know a lot of people liked the Ben Affleck Duncan. Duncan. Um, I liked the uh, the uh, Bibby Dad or whatever it was the Binky Dad. Okay, thought that one was cool. Um, I, I think the real novelty for me. Oh, the Tubi, the Tubi, where everyone, everyone thought a lot of attention. That was yeah, where everyone thought done. their TV broke. That was fun. Um, I really liked like with the Super Bowl. It can go either way because mm-hmm. there's minute long ads, which you really don't see as much on TV. That they try to develop this massive storyline in a minute. Like I just <laughs> applaud these advertisers yeah. that are like dead set on it. Like the, good for them. The uh, I, I found out today. I didn't even know this going in that. One of my cousins was the person behind the ad that got a lot of people talking. The girl with the flag football, her running. Oh through. my god, my mom yeah. wouldn't shut up about yeah, it. One of my cousins was behind that ad. It was oh like, gosh, it came, conceptualized it. I, I didn't even know that until uh, today. Actually, I guess they weren't allowed to say anything. But yeah, that was a that was a cool little one. I like the Dave Grohl paying homage of to course. Canada. That was fun with Crown Royal. Yeah, uh, honestly, the, nothing. All that offensive. I was a little mad the Eminem, Maya Rudolph stuff wasn't really paid off very well. Yeah, I, I was agree. expecting a bigger payoff on that. Yeah. But the good news is, Mia, you know, with the Super Bowl coming gone, the NFL season's gone as well. It's still football season because this is the XFL. The XFL relaunches for the third time. Coming up this week. Third time's the charm, John. Roughnecks, the Guardians, Vipers, Battlehawks, Sea Dragons, the Brahmas, which is, of course, an homage to the new owner of the XFL, the Brahma Bowl himself, Dwayne The Rock Johnson. 
the USFL, those commercials were all over the USFL back for season two in its relaunch. Um, this, this has got a lot of people talking because it makes you wonder, is there a way for these spring leagues to actually succeed? And I'll ask you on a personal level, what's your interest level in this? 1%. 1% interest? Yes. Okay. I would rather wait 15 days and watch men in tights, the underwear Olympics. I mean, the NFL combine and dive headfirst into draft footage and okay. grinding the tape personally that's well, just why me. can't spring football succeed what has the issue been here uh, it's not even the quality. I'll, I'll, take you back. I'll take you back real quick here three years let's go back in time the aaf and the xfl launch around the same time the alliance yep. of american football and through the first few weeks the reviews are really positive the aaf was awesome when it launched mm-hmm. it nosedived in a matter of weeks because of lack of funding but the XFL, and a global pandemic, but you know. Well, no, no, that that closed before the pandemic even hit. Oh, hmm. the, the AAF folded before the. I was covering the Orlando Apollos and Steve Spurrier, and they folded before the pandemic even hit. The XFL, they were doing okay. People were enjoying the style of football. It was it had a decent little TV deal with ESPN, and then the pandemic hit, and the league folded, and Vince McMahon and Oliver Luck got at it. But whatever. So why isn't spring football working and what is it going to take for it to work if it can at all? It's fascinating because we talk so often about you need the TV deal, which they have. And number two, leagues have okay TV deals. Right. And number two, as long as it's football, people will watch. And for whatever the reason, that has not been the case. Uh, People would rather watch spring SEC games than they would watch spring football. Um, so I tend to think that it stems from, excuse me, the fact that these leagues have not been able to, to sustain in enough time for fandom to truly develop. I think it's people are popping in and saying, oh, that's on TV. I'll throw it on TV. They're not actually following one of these teams. And okay. so quite frankly, what I think would be fascinating. And as you pulled up the list, if you want to pull it up again, John, of the different XFL teams, what would be fascinating for me is, and I, I believe I've said this on the program before, you could make the argument that the four teams that were left in the AFC playoff race, the Kansas City Chiefs, the Cincinnati Bengals, the Buffalo Bills, and the Jacksonville Jaguars, those are four of the smaller NFL cities around the National Football League. All four of those teams, the city pretty much revolves around the team. Not to say that that isn't the case with top 10 markets, but there are other options. Um, so, Bringing it back to the XFL, you look at that list of cities. I can tell you this. I, I think the two that you have the best chance at developing that sort of following are the Brahmas, the Brahmas, Brahmas. in San Antonio because they don't have an NFL team mm-hmm. and in St. Louis because their NFL team left them. So the, the, the Battle Hawks actually used to draw very well uh, the last iteration. So right. this, so, there's an yeah. opportunity. I think there's something to be said about putting these franchises in cities where there isn't another NFL team to compete with. And people are just so excited to have something to call their own. And moreover, they're excited to have a football product that they can call their own. Like I can guarantee you Houston, Arlington, Dallas, Seattle, like they got their own team. They're already worried about the off season. They're worried about the draft. They're not thinking about the XFL. Here's there's two things that stand out to me. So number one, as far as the XFL is concerned, Dwayne The Rock Johnson's in charge here. If you can't succeed with The Rock throwing his name behind you, it's a doomed concept. It's just not going to happen. Everything that dude touches 
turns to gold in some capacity, except apparently Black Adam. But he tried. He tried to pretty much coup d'etat DC. It didn't work. The problem with spring football for me, as far as I see it at least, is that they know that they are not getting the best of the best. The NFL is the best of the best, right? College football is successful because there's the team tradition and the school tradition. With spring football, the way for it to succeed would be if one of these leagues can become a proper feeder system to the NFL. Where if people turn on an XFL game and they know they are seeing potential stars of tomorrow in the NFL. Let's say you have a college football player who doesn't really have much interest in getting an education. They're strictly there to play football. Well, maybe if you can attract that player to go play professionally at a pretty high level. Like they're doing in basketball. Like they're doing in basketball with G League Ignite. If you can adopt a similar concept and draw some people where, okay, that linebacker right there, he's got potential. He's only 19 years old, but he's got potential to be someone in the NFL one day. Well, that will require the NFL to form these partnerships. It would require the NFL to address its partnerships with the NCAA as well. But I think that is your way of getting eyes on a product. I think that's how, if the fans know I'm seeing someone who might be a star in the near future, and I can say I saw them when at an Orlando Guardians game, there's an appeal to that. I agree with all this, the feeder system philosophy, but how would you feed to the NFL? Would it just be a general expansion draft, or would they be part of the NFL draft? And how many years would they have to remain with the XFL? I mean, that's all whatever they could come up with. I mean, maybe it's a direct line where someone you can be signed as a free agent or when you get drafted to the XFL, maybe it's like the NFL or sorry, maybe it's like the NHL where you get drafted by a team and then you, you play college, but you're under the affiliation of that pro team. So like maybe you're drafted, maybe you sign with the Orlando guardians and they have an affiliation with five different NFL teams. So you are automatically, your rights are protected by one of those five NFL teams. Like, I don't know, maybe there's a way to do something like that, but I just think that while there may not be the wettest appetite for it, if you incentivized the audience by saying, Hey, some of these people might make it big because what was the problem with like the last XFL and even the first, they relied on nostalgia or no names. And sure, you had a few play well, like P.J. Walker has had Mm -hmm. a nice little NFL career since he moved over. And, you know, we look back to the original XFL. Tommy Maddox came from there and he had a pretty good NFL career. And hey, give it up for uh, for what's his name out out of Bishop Kenny, the uh, John Wolford, the backup for the Los Angeles Rams. Yep. Um, He hate me from the original XFL, of course. Like that's part of the fun and games here. But I just think the only way spring football can succeed is if it becomes a proper feeder system to the NFL. Yeah. I don't know. I'm not going to be watching that much unless, okay. unless I don't know. Like again, unless it's the only thing on, which college basketball is going on, John. And moreover, yeah, we have golf too. Yeah, Are do. you ready for this? We do. And we did. Let's and, hear it. Uh, I'm surprisingly not going to ask about Tiger Woods. We'll save that for a rainy day. Um, the Waste Management Open continues to be a lot of fun. And it coincided with the Super Bowl in Phoenix this past weekend. Scotty Scheffler continued his torrid two now two year stretch. Uh, he makes his case to be one of the best in the world, winning back to back waste management opens. 
Ryan Palmer stole the show by yeeting beer money into the stands. This is so cool. Look at this. <laughs> I, I love it. Also, apparently a lot of topless people running around too at some mm-hmm. point or another. Um, listen, putting the Super Bowl and the Waste Management Open on at the same time, God bless the city of Phoenix. Um, John, what was your favorite moment of the Waste Management Open? This, slash, right that, that was your favorite? This slash, is, I mean, what do we think about Scotty Scheffler winning? I mean, Scheffler, as you said, he's – He's well on his way to becoming a big-time star in golf when the PGA so desperately needs it with everything going on with Live Golf and everything. But this right here, this is the type of thing you're not going to get with Live Golf. This is a player who recognizes that golf can be fun. He embraces the charm of the Waste Management Open here. And he was originally just chucking dollar bills into the stands, but the wind wasn't allowing for that. So he grabbed some golf balls, wrote a message on it, rubber band, a $10 bill around it, and threw it in the sands. This is how sports should be. That's, that's the yes. beauty of forming that connection with a pro athlete. And, you know, when, when baseball players throw batting practice balls into the crowd, like stuff like that, that's, that's the magic in being a fan. So, and yeah. that's something you don't really see from golfers. And no. moreover, and this is my larger point, you don't really see from Scotty Scheffler either. No. And so that's that's where I'm curious because this was a loaded leaderboard. Let me read for you some of the names that finished towards the top of the leaderboard at the Waste Management Open in Phoenix this weekend because it was elite, to say the least. Scotty Scheffler, your winner at 19 under. Uh, John Rahm, uh, sole possession of third place at 14 under, followed by JT, Justin Thomas, 13 under, so six strokes off the lead. Jason Day, Sam Burns, Jordan Spieth, all tied for sixth. You had Xander Shoffley and Ricky Fowler coming up, bringing up the rear tie for 10th. Those are some big names, John. And moreover, those are names that we've seen throughout the course of their careers have fun with the audience, mm-hmm. being these marketable personalities. And it's no knock on Scheffler. He's a great golfer. He's just a quiet boy from Texas. Um, but you're never going to have Tiger again. But I really do think that the Netflix show that's going to be debuting on Wednesday uh, that was chronicling the the life of several PGA tour players over the past year uh, and inspired by the formula one series that went on Netflix. And then everyone became an F one fan um, after drive to survive. And so I'm really curious to see that other side of golfers, much like Ryan Palmer with the, with the beer. um, Because I do think that that is where golf still sometimes struggles and it truly is up in the ivory tower Mm -hmm. because are they actually men of the people? Yeah, no, absolutely. And and an event like this allows you to see who's willing to be. And that's the charm of that event. You know, people wake up super early to get there. Was it the 16th hole? Correct. Yes. They all line up around and they cheer like they're at a college basketball game. It's, it's amazing. It's so different for golf. I wish more of golf was like that. Quite frankly, I think it would inject a lot into the TV presentation of golf, but Again, that, that Palmer beer thing to me, that is so awesome. And what a great way to form that connection with audience members. Uh, Tiger's we, playing this week, by the way, real quick, since playing. we have some time. What, what do you think? My expectations for Tiger at this point in his career are fairly low. Uh, would I love to see him be competitive one more time in a major? Yeah, I would love to see that. But I do believe that the Masters win in 2019 was one of the most improbable wins in the history of sports, period. So I take a lot of solace in knowing that he got that last moment. And whatever happens from here on out is kind of bonus for Tiger. 
Yeah. Uh, worth noting the Genesis Invitational, of course, of which Tiger Woods is one of the hosts. Uh, the major that he has not won after the most amount of starts. Well, the Genesis, so. the Genesis isn't a major. No, 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 no. Sorry. Uh, of any tournament. Of any tournament. Oh, oh, sorry, okay. So of any tournament on the tour. Sorry, my apologies. Sure. Of any tournament on the tour, the most starts he has made without a win. Interesting. Fascinating. Mm-hmm. I wonder if he plays the Arnold Palmer this year. I yeah. Every single year I went to cover the Arnold Palmer, Tiger was supposed to play, and then something happened and he had to back out. I was so mad I didn't get to cover him. So, so we played 2019 uh, players. So I was able to cover him then when him and Kevin Na had the big laugh where they were, like, chasing after their ball. Yeah. Um that was really cool. I, th- you know, we had executive director Jared Rice on primetime today. And, you know, he said there's always a chance, especially now, because he said after last year, he didn't like that he just played the majors because he didn't feel like his body was ready. Yeah. And so there is some thought that maybe he'll play one of the tournaments in March. So whether it's in Orlando or, ja- or in Ponte Vedra remains to be yeah, seen. The API is an awesome event. Totally cool. It's just a bunch of people drinking Arnold Palmer on a golf course. Is there anything better than that? Come on. No. There's nothing better than that. Uh, there's a lot of things better than this, though. Mia, you hate this, John. I hate this so passionately. Major League Baseball approved some rule changes today going forward. Most notable of them, the extra inning ghost runner. It is here to stay permanently. And for those of you unfamiliar, that is when after nine innings are played and you're still tied, you go to the 10th inning and every inning, every half inning starts with a runner on second base and no outs. Uh, this has been a very controversial rule the past few years. It started with the pandemic season, the 60-game pandemic season, as a reason to speed up games and a way to speed up games. And the players and managers actually seem to like it quite a bit. But a lot of fans have rebelled against this because they feel like it kind of spits in the face of deciding a game properly. Where do you stand on this rule, Mia? How do you feel about it being the permanent rule going forward? It's not going to be part of the rules in the postseason, just for the regular season. Why is my question? Well, why is because they feel it speeds up games. No, 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 no. Why not the postseason? Oh, because they know that it would devalue things, and that's the whole thing. They know it devalues it. So we're not going to have it in the postseason, but uh, we'll have it in the regular season. Because there's 162 games, or 182 games. Maybe maybe there shouldn't be. Some baseball, uh, there's 162 is not going anywhere, but some baseball games are incredibly long and they drag and, and I get it. And this is coming from someone that baseball is my everything. I get it. But what is the biggest criticism of the NHL when it comes to overtime rules? It's the shootout, right? Mm-hmm. And the NHL still plays an overtime period before it goes to the shootout. Yes. This they do is that like, in soccer too, by the way. Right. This is like going from the end of regulation right to a shootout. You're not even playing any OT. Right. The way I see it I can means, tell you this, it would be a lot. Not true soccer fans, but the casual fan would say yes. And so that's where I think that they would want to go right to a penalty kick shootout. But so So that's where say, that's where I think it's similar with baseball. I would say 12 innings. 12 innings when you start doing the runner on second if you want. Okay. To. I could buy that because you give them a couple innings to try to end this thing regularly. Kind of like college in- football with the overtime rules. Sure, then you got to go for two. two right, yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, you're not inflating any stats because that's the one thing, too. Stats become so inflated when you start with a runner on second automatically. Right. And, I mean, that's just if you're a bookkeeper or whatever. But 
It just feels cheap, does it not? Like, there's no drama that can build. In theory, extra innings can end just like that. And I do like, though, that we're seeing more scoring in extra innings. So sometimes you're seeing both teams score a run. And so then it gets extended anyways. It certainly does. And that goes back to, again, attention span. And managers and executive suite-level powers that be recognizing that future generations do not have the attention span of older generations. And so they're, they're trying whatever they can, John, to keep the kids locked in. I mean, we're getting bigger bases this year. We're getting limited pickoff attempts this year. The shift has been banned unlike the wave. So we'll see what's to come. I just, listen, we're in baseball season now, as far as I'm concerned. We're also in racing season, John. The Daytona 500, the great American race, is this Sunday. We have both had the opportunity to cover. One of my all-time favorite things to cover. Yes, this historic, historic venue. And so my question for you, John, is what is the – what is your favorite oddity? What is your favorite oddity about Daytona International Speedway or the Daytona 500? Well, now, when you say oddity, I think it's important for people to understand that NASCAR is just an animal. It is just an animal. It is unlike anything else. And they've sold out Daytona this week. 100,000 people are going to be packing those stands. It's going to be wild. If you've never gone to a NASCAR race in person, 100% do it. It is, even if you're not a racing fan, it's just it's so It's a party. Cool. You're just it's there so, for the party. It's a party, and it's so cool to experience live. These, these cars in person are just unreal live. And you could get right up close to them, too. They let you, you like go can. right near the pits. So and I, have two, I have two favorite oddities for Daytona. Number one, and this is something that a lot of people don't know, you can buy tickets that allow you for a few hours before the race to go on the track and hang out on the track, and you can sign the finish mm-hmm. line. You can that. take pictures on the track. And you gain a real appreciation for how steep the banks are on on the track itself that is i mean what a memory to make being able to take a picture on that it's amazing you and i took a picture on mm-hmm. the track during that time period actually which was super cool the other is the food come on you get these people who are camping for days on the infield and they've just rolled out kitchens <laughs> it's amazing that's yes. that's the charm of of a race like the daytona 500 i don't want to hear people say oh it's just hicks that are out there uh those hicks they make a lot of money. Uh, there's some rich people out there in the infield because some of these RVs, folks, I mean, they are as decked out as decked out can be. And so a lot of those people, because I've interviewed them before, have two or three homes. And then they also have the RV. Um, I do always appreciate uh, my favorite random fan story that I found last year, John. Uh, I love the guys that buy old school buses and they deck it out. Uh, last year, we found a guy who actually then put um, – a uh, not a launch pad, but like a patio up on the roof of said school bus. Uh, big fan of that because then you can actually see cool. the track. I thought That's that was cool. really cool. Yeah. Um, and my other favorite oddity is how with the uh, pre show pre race concert, uh, they they let you get right up in front, not only for driver intros but for the concert and including uh, media folks like ourselves. They literally were like, "Oh, Luke Combs, yeah, you're going right up in front," and we literally just were like in the front row, like filming him and. Uh, as a Luke Combs fan, that was super, super cool. Ditto to Darius Rucker a few years ago. And so um, I think NASCAR gets a bad rep when in reality we we're talking about PGA Tour and like Dude, becoming NASCAR more is great accessible. With media, it I can tell you that. And so fan friendly and mm-hmm. so fan friendly. They, if you want to engage with your racer, like your guy, 
you have the ability to do so if you have a pit pass, if you have a hot pass. Like, yeah. you can do that. And that, I don't think you could say for a lot of sports. No, you can't. It is a truly a very, very memorable thing to attend. If you haven't, I would highly recommend doing so. I'm going to go, just because I think it's this guy's time, the melon man, Ross Chastain. Ah, he's, he's a Florida gonna, guy, too. He's a Florida guy. He's he's going to get it done. Um, I... Uh, I did a story too one year at Daytona. The head groundskeeper at Daytona was also a groundskeeper at Fenway Park, and he learned how to he learned how to keep something so pristine from going from one iconic venue to another. And that's just again part of the charm of Daytona International. It's a lot of fun. Any other thoughts you want to add on that, Mia? Uh, looking at the odds, according to my good friends over at my bookie, uh, El- Chase Elliott right now is the favorite, plus 570. Kyle Larson, plus 610, shortly behind him. I really do like Denny Ham on the third best odds. He's a two-time winner, this dude, or three-time winner, excuse three-time me. Winner, yeah. yeah, the dude just, the dude always finds He's his way at Daytona, so I, I like where's, that where's one. What's Ross Chastain's at odds? Where, Ross he? Chastain's odds. Uh, he is eighth most. So that's actually, I like, that's a sexy I'm one taking that there. bet if I'm, be- if I'm a betting I like man, that, I'm plus 1175. That. I like that one you some good money on that yeah um i also was really sad bubba wallace had a fighting chance last year he's uh got the uh 8 10 12 14 he's got the 15th best odds at plus 4,000. had a fighting chance at the finish line last year that would have been an awesome story michael jordan was in attendance at the daytona 500 so would love a good redemption story for bubba as well this has been fun my friends out of bounds is in the book we'll be back with you here next monday right here on Know Your News. We'll see you next time. Roses are red. Violets are blue. I click the subscribe button. You really should too. If you like videos about real news stories that are funny, stupid, or weird, subscribe now.